Well, as I confessed to you the last two weeks, um, as the pastor of an international church, you often feel you should preach on certain things annually, and I almost never uh, get that done. Um, two weeks ago, we talked about the Bible is the Word of God and, and, and why we can rest in, in the fact that the Bible is the authoritative, inerrant, infallible Word of God. Uh, last week, we talked about baptism. Um, and why that is important and biblical. And it's been 18 months since I preached on giving. Um, I don't particularly like to preach on giving. Um, maybe it's some of the scar tissue I have from being growing up in the church unregenerate. But um, this is an important topic, <laughs> Okay. I preach on it only because, listen, when I preach on giving, it's not because I'm asking you to give money to the church. I've told you many times, if you don't want to give money to the church, you shouldn't give money to the church. Uh, this doesn't please God. Uh, it's right here um, on our little, our little uh, frame here about... Uh, about giving. Let each one do just as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. If you don't love giving to God, then don't give to God. But I'm going to make the case that it's in your best interest to be pursuing and loving God like this. This is a big deal to God. God doesn't need your money. But you and I need to learn how to honor Him in our finances. Hey, Josh, you want to close the door? Um, so, it's uh, something that we need to be talking about. Albeit, I confess, it's not my favorite thing to talk about because of all the prosperity garbage in the church at large. And I don't want anybody to walk in here and think, think well, this is just another church all about money. Listen, you know, the only reason that door is still open is because God is faithful. We've never asked anybody for a dime in this church, and we never will. I told uh, the, the first congregation, the very first meeting we had, I told the congregation, there were four people here 15 years ago, and I told them, I'll never ask you for money, and I never have. But what I will do is I will let you know what God has to say about it. What God has to say about money what God has to say about giving. It's my job to inform you. Because as you know, if you're biblically literate, there are huge promises from God in this regard. I mean, just huge. I'll stop there. Huge promises from God in this regard. You say, Jim, I don't need to be reminded about this. Okay, I'll make a confession. I need to be reminded about this. This is something Karen and I talk about not just once and forget about it. We talk about it multiple times a year. How we're giving. Should we give more? What is God saying in His Word? You know, do we want to get in on the hundredfold thing, right? <laughs> I didn't realize this. I learned this today. Seven times in the Bible, God talks about the hundredfold thing. What is the hundredfold thing? When you invest in eternity, there's a 10,000% there's a return. You know, if some investment guy came in here and promised you 10,000% return and you actually believed him, what would you do? You would whip out your checkbook and all your cash as fast as possible, right? All I'm saying to you is, 
God talks about investing in eternity. He says it's a hundredfold return. And I love what Randy Alcorn says. Some of you will know him. I'll just tell you this about this book real quick. If you, if you want to learn more about giving, I'm only going to preach one sermon on this. You could preach 15. I'm only going to preach one. If you want to know more about giving, I recommend this book, The Treasure Principle. He's an American preacher, Randy Alcorn. I recommend this book. It's very convicting. Don't read it unless you're serious <laughs> about honoring God in your finances because it's very convicting. But it's very helpful. I actually reread it yesterday. Yeah, it's a little teeny book. Um, and uh, I've read it probably eight times. <laughs> and I still get convicted, right? Uh, so, I love what Alcorn says. You know what he says? He says, when you look at all the promises of God to those who would honor Him in, in their finances, he said, you know, not to do so is just stupid. Now, I know that's inelegant. I know that's not something that, you know, that's not a word that would normally come in a sermon. But I love what he said. He says it's just stupid. God makes all of these incredible promises to those who will invest in the kingdom. And that's my job. I just want you to understand, I'm not asking you for your money. If you don't want to give money here, don't give money here. You only give money here if God leads you and directs you to do it. And you, Hey, the only people we want to give here are the people who cannot stand not to give. Okay, The only people we want giving in this church are the people who can't stand not to do it. That's why we don't even take an offering. The basket is here. We don't pass it. Um, if you don't want to, don't. Don't. It does not please God. So, I'm going to begin here. I'm going to give you a little bit of my testimony in this regard. As I've shared with you before, um, I learned about giving sitting under a pecan tree in my backyard, 3323 North Cypress, North Little Rock, Arkansas, 1983. Why do I remember this? Because I was converted in 83, and that summer I would just sit under this pecan tree in my backyard and I would just read huge chunks of the Bible. And I was just having so much fun with this, I couldn't wait, you know, all day I'd be at work and I couldn't wait to go home and sit under the pecan tree and read God's Word. And, of course, ultimately you bang into Malachi chapter 3. And those of you who know your Bibles, you know what God says through the prophet. Will a man rob God? Well, of course he will. <laughs> every, man, every man ever born has robbed God in one sense or another. Will a man rob God? Of course a man will rob God. God's probably the easiest person in your life to rob. The police won't come, there won't be an investigation, and nobody will uh, file charges against you. Right? Will a man rob God? Absolutely. All day long a man will rob God. But I remember hitting this text, and it was quite an eye-opener for me. There was deep conviction. Because when I read it, I knew... I was a God robber. <laughs> I'm 28 years old. And I knew as a converted man just recently that I indeed was a God robber. I've shared this with you before. I grew up in the church. Um, uh, it was a cultural thing. didn't mean anything to me. I was baptized at 8. didn't mean anything to me. 
I did it because it pleased my parents and my pastor and my Sunday school teacher. Um, I was just a pretender. It was a religious thing for me. And I, I knew growing up in the church, you're supposed to give money. This, Christians are supposed to give money. Whether they want to or not, they're supposed to do it. Right? And, and, and in my church, you, you could never get away from the, you know, the, the, the offering basket or the plate. It, just, it would get passed down the row. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? It would get passed down the row. And you couldn't get away from it. And if you didn't want to look horrible, you had to pull some money out of your billfold and stick a little money in there. This is why we don't pass the plate. Because if you don't want to do it, we don't want you to do it. I hated seeing the offering basket come down the, the thing because it was my money, by the way. I worked hard this week. It's my money. I don't want to give it to the church. The pastor lives well enough. I don't need to give any money here. Right? This was my... And so I always had a couple of small bills in my pocket and I would take them out of my billfold and I would fold them up so nobody could see how little I was giving. I would stuff them underneath the offering, you know, and I hated this. I hated this. You know why? Because I love money and I did not love God. I did not love God. So, I hated this tradition in the church that I grew up in. So I was just involved, and as I mentioned to you earlier, just kind of, it was a religious thing. It was giving money is a religious thing. I profess to be religious. I should do this religious thing. I'll throw some money in the basket. And so I would do it under compulsion. That's not how we do it here. Um, we don't do it that way here. But all that changed in 83 when God took out my heart of stone and put in that heart of flesh. And I crashed into Malachi 3.8, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? And God says, In tithes and offerings. So I want to... In context... Let me just make this clear. In the Old Testament context, God's talking about tithes. That's just the tax that supported the theocracy. Okay, That's what that is. The tithe is the tax that supports the theocracy. 23.3% for your average Jew. You know, it wasn't one tithe. It was two and a third tithes. Okay? Annually. So that's the Old Testament context. What's the New Testament context? The New Testament context is stewardship and worship. Okay? We, we, and I'll talk more about this in a minute, but we, we're not paying taxes as the Old Testament Jew was. That was his tithe to 23%. He was paying taxes. But he also brought in his offerings. And you heard God say it. You are robbing me in the tax that I've established for the theocracy and you're robbing me in offerings. And as soon as I read it, I knew I was the guy. I was that guy. And I was under conviction for my sin. Everything you are and everything you have is by the benevolent hand of God. It is not yours. At best you can say you are a steward. That's all you are is a steward and you will give an account for your stewardship. Every penny God has flushed through, you know, um, your cash flow... All of your life, will, you will give an account for what God has flushed through your life, what God has sent into your life. We are simply 
stewards. And I, re- I still remember keenly. I still remember keenly when, when I read that. And I, I, the, my first thing was conviction. My second thing was fear. Like, how could I ever give in a, in a sacrificial way to God? You know why I felt that way? Because I was an average American. You know what you're... Okay, no offense to any Americans here. I'll just say how I was as an American. Man, I was leveraged to my eyeballs. You know what this means, right? I had so much debt because I was buying so much stuff because I was obviously trying to fill that hole in my heart. This is what materialism is really about. I was in so much debt. How could I, how could I get out of this leverage and, and honor God? Because I, you know, I have no savings. I'm just living to the max. And so... I was under conviction, and then I was in, I had great concern that I could not ever begin to honor God in my stewardship and in my giving. But this is one thing I love about the Bible, right? I read that I'm robbing God, and two verses later, I read this, Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. So there may be food in my house and test me now in this. Nowhere else does God say this. Nowhere else does God say, test me. I think this is significant. Can I say to you, I've been a Christian 35 years, can I say to you, I have in effect tested God on this and what He's about to say is absolutely true. It's my testimony to you. And I'm not a prosperity guy. I hate prosperity guys. I'm not talking about that. I'm ultimately talking about the hundredfold return in eternity. That's what I'm looking at. This is what the biblically literate Christian is looking at. I'm looking at eternity. I'm not investing here. I'm investing there. And Alcorn is right. If you understand there is an eternity and you are a steward and God plans to reward you for all of your eternal works, it's just stupid to pour it into temporal things. And my goal in the Bible is to always be less stupid than I was when I went in. (laughs) Right? When I come out of the Bible, from reading the Bible, my hope is to be less stupid. So, I crash into Malachi 3.10, bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me now and this, says the Lord, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. And I want to say this, and I want you to hear me. If you're robbing God, ultimately you're robbing yourself. I've already said it. God doesn't need your money. But God says, I will bless you. And if you read the parable of the minas and the parable of the talents, there will be an accounting and there will be reward for those who have invested in the kingdom. There will be the hundredfold um, return on your eternal investments. So God gives us the gift of the conviction of our sins. We've been miserly with God. And within a verse or two later, He gives us this promise on how we can put down our sin and, oh yes, how we can invest in God's kingdom, which is way better than Google. Did any of you get in on Google? Huh? None of you got in on Google. Or Amazon. You know, did you get in on Amazon? Listen, 
God's kingdom makes these two companies look like a complete joke. They are nothing. The return you'll get on what you invest in the kingdom of God is infinitely. Well, it's eternal and infinite. Of course, it's greater than what you would have ever gotten with those two companies. C.S. Lewis says in a really simply genius thing. He says, if you're doing your sums wrong, you're going to get the wrong answer. How many of you think that's right? You think, you think it's right if you're doing your sums wrong, you're going to get the wrong answer? He's saying if your presuppositions are wrong regarding time and eternity, if your methodology is wrong regarding your time and eternity, if your arithmetic is flawed regarding time and eternity, you're getting the wrong answer. And most likely you're investing in the wrong things. I dare say some of you here are doing your sums wrong. And I, I'm just going to do a real quick... Let's just look at the Scripture real quick. I, I, won't, I probably won't read them for the sake of time, but you guys remember the story, Luke chapter 12. The rich man, he had a bumper crop. What did he do? What did the rich man do in Luke chapter 12? He said, I, I know what I'll do. I'll build a lot of barns and I'll hoard up my wealth. What did God end up saying to this guy? Good job. That's a wise investment. Very prudent on your part. No. What did God say? God says you're a fool. This is what God said about this man. You're a fool. You've hoarded up what you could have invested in me. Listen, beloved, I, I, I'm not trying to put it. I don't, want, I don't want anyone in here to feel guilt. Listen, if you don't want to give, don't give. What I want to do is jack you up so you see what an opportunity this is to honor God. Hey, if you don't want to give at this church, that's fine. You give to the poor. You give to some other ministry. I, I, I'm not saying I want your money. I don't want your money. Obviously, the church needs money to operate. But I want, you know, if you don't feel led to do that here, then don't do it here. Don't do it here. And then you remember those crazy Macedonians. You guys remember the, the Macedonians? They were poor. And Paul talks about these guys in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, he says, in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and in their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. What is he saying? He said they were giving freely. He said according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. They begged us with much entreaty for the favor to participate in the support of the saints. <laughs> I mean, okay, <laughs> we have two examples here. The hoarder and those who give in their poverty. And I'm just going to ask you, which one more closely resembles how you're doing your sums? How you're doing your sums? That's a good question for all of us to think about. And I know every day you get up, especially if you're my age, every day you get up, the world's saying, man, you've got to hoard up more money, Jim. You don't have enough, you don't have enough money hoarded up. I was talking to a good brother, and we, t we talk every week. He's a young man in Germany. We talk every week, Thursday afternoon. And he, he said a beautiful thing. He said, uh, I told him what I was going to preach on, so we started talking about it. He said, why do I have to be worried about tomorrow if my God is God? 
And my God is a promise keeper. The short answer is you don't have to worry. Of course, Jesus, Luke chapter 12, why are you worried about all this stuff? Oh, guess what? God knows what you need, right? God knows what you need. The question is, do you really believe Him? Do you believe He's faithful? Do you believe He's attentive? Listen, we are free to give as big as we dare. This is the New Testament maxim or axiom, okay? You are free to give as big as you dare. You know, people say, well, Jim, how much should I give? That's never the right question. <laughs> that's never the right question. And that's between you and God. In the New Testament, that's between you and God. The Old Testament tithe was, ta was, was, was a tax. The New Testament, it's all free will giving, beloved. It's all free will giving. In Luke chapter 12 that I just mentioned, Jesus calls us, you know, you know how it goes, calls us to store up treasure in heaven. Not merely because it's right, but because it's smart. You don't get to keep anything here. It's the monopoly analogy. It all goes back in the box. You don't get to keep anything here. Jesus says, it's not that earthly wealth is bad because we know um, God does bless His people. We have examples of many in the Bible who were wealthy. It's not that it's bad. It's that you can't keep any of it. So what are you going to do with it? <laughs> are you going to sit on it? Or are you going to invest it in the things of God? It's not that it might be lost. It will always be lost. You're headed for the hole in the ground. You don't get to keep anything. Listen to what God says to the guy that was building barns. And I know the world keeps telling you, you've got to build barns. God says, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. Now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is one question I want you to walk out of here and be thinking about. Are you making yourself rich toward God? What does that look like? It looks like I'm investing heavily in the kingdom of God. That's what it looks like. I am a good steward. You know, God's, God gives out the... The resources, and as we remember in the parable, I think it was of the Minas, he said, go do business. This is what God says. You go do business with what I give you. You go do business in the world. Well, what kind of business is God talking about? He's talking about souls, man. Right? He's talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about, you know, those who give systematically, superficially, Pardon me, not superficially, sacrificially. There's enough Christians in the world giving superficially. There will be people in eternity through the gift you gave. It's just a reality. Do you remember the, the little boy that gave Jesus, uh, what, what was it, a couple of loaves and some fish? 
It was nothing. But what did Jesus do with it? He fed probably 20,000 people. Do you understand what God can do with a little bit? Do you understand what God can do with a little bit? He can magnify. He can magnify your gift and use it to great kingdom ends. God calls the man who spends his life building barns a fool. And God commends the happy Macedonians for giving even in their poverty. C.S. Lewis says this, Hey, when you discover you're doing your sums wrong, the best thing to do is what? Stop. If you're doing your sums wrong, if you're, if you're, if you're not quite plugged into God's arithmetic yet, I'm, I'm challenging you tonight to, to take a hard look at where you are with God in this regard. Not that God needs your money, but here's the deal. You're the one who loses. You lose. God doesn't lose. I don't lose. I mean, that door will stay open as long as it pleases God. It, it, you know, if you don't want to give here, then God will have someone else come along who will give here. God always funds His projects. He always funds His works. All I want to say to you is, and I say this in love, and I had a long week with this. You know, I'm in a situation, Karen and I are in a little bit of a situation where I have to make some decisions. And I'm just, you know, I knew I needed to turn and look at God. If you don't turn and look at God when it comes to money, you will just look at the money. It, it always happens this way. It always works this way. Some of us in here need to change the way we're doing our sums. There's a reason 40% of Christ's parables speak to money and wealth. There's a reason that Jesus talked more about money and wealth than He did about heaven and hell. One theologian estimates that 15% of everything Jesus says in the Bible is related to money. The Bible contains more than 2,000 references to money and wealth, twice as many as to faith and prayer. So why does God give so much ink to this? Because it will get in your heart. You begin to trust money and treasure money more than you trust God and treasure God. It always happens. The strongest warning from the lips of Jesus is not about apostasy. It's not about adultery. It's not about false doctrine. It's about money. Luke chapter 12. And if you've obtained any age at all, you've ever handled your own money, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Jesus says in Matthew 6.24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Here's the thing. You have to decide. This is, you know, this is God's call to you. You decide. It's, it's up to you. You decide what you're going to do with the money that God gives you. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So I'm talking to you tonight not really about money. I'm talking about your heart. Because that's the, that's the ground of all of this discussion. That's the root of all of this discussion. It's your heart. And it's, you know, what you love. <coughs> Principally. Primarily. 
preeminently. You know what Jesus says? I'm just going to ask you if you believe this. Jesus says, do you think God knows what He's talking about? I don't know. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Does your life reveal that you believe that? You know, God expects us to do the Word, right? It's always do the Word. James chapter 1, I think. Do the Word! We're supposed to do it! Do you believe it? Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Do you believe that there's blessedness and happiness in giving? Do you believe God is a promise-keeping God? Do you believe He can be trusted? If you believe that, let me ask you this question. It's a question the Holy Spirit put in front of me about, I don't know, six or eight years ago when I was preaching. I was preparing a sermon on this, and God came to me and said, Jim, why don't you give more money? Why aren't you investing more heavily in the kingdom of God? You know what the only answer was I could come up with? Honestly, I don't want to. It's almost never about ability. It's always about priority. I agree. There's some, there's some who can't give. They simply don't have any left to give. But that would be, you know, uh, 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 a small minority, at least in the West. But we understand they exist. So, it's always about priority. It's not about ability for most of us. It might be for some of us. But you know what I want to say to those of you who have very little? <laughs> what does Jesus say? How did He say it? Something about, you know, blessed are you who are faithful in little, and I will put you in charge of much. It doesn't matter. I'm going back to the little boy who gave the, the bread and the fish. It doesn't matter to God. God will do an amazing thing. It doesn't matter how small your offering is. It's all about priority. It's not about how much. It's about priority. It's not whether it's a, 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 you know, a penny is, is right for some people, a hundred bucks is right for some people, $10,000 is right for others, you know, half a million is right for others. That's not what interests God. What interests God is your love for Him and your priority of giving in a way that honors Him and propagates His work in the world. Why don't you give more? I just want you to think about it. I've, I've been thinking about it all week. <laughs> you know? Hey man, I've preached this sermon probably four or five times and I'm under conviction. I'm thinking, man, I need to, I need to look at God more. And I, I need to... God's calling me into blessedness. Let me ask you this. Maybe you're already too blessed. Do you not want to be blessed more? <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe some of you don't want to be blessed more. <clears throat> well, okay, that's a legitimate concern. It appears with God. So, rarely about ability, always about priority. How, how do you prioritize your budget? Where does God fit into the month, monthly cash flow plan? Listen, for those of you who've never started this, you don't, you don't do this, you don't know how to do this, Here's how you do it. You just do it. You prioritize. I, I want to invest in the kingdom of God. And it's free will. Whatever you want to do. 
I'm going to invest it in the kingdom of God. Just start doing it. Just start doing it. It's not magic. If you prioritize it, you can forecast it, you can plan it, and you can budget it. So I'm just going to ask you again, do you believe God knows what He's talking about? Do you believe God is telling you the truth? Do you believe it's more blessed to give than to receive? I'm just, I'm just saying. And let me talk about... Well, let me say this first. Your attitude about money and giving, it's all about one thing. Some of you could guess. It's a one-word answer. It's about God. That's it. Money, your money, you profess to be a Christian. Your money, your giving, is about one thing. It's how you see God. Your priorities with your money, it's your reflection of your view of God. Your anxiety about it, your reflection of your view of God. Your practice in giving it, it's a reflection of your view of God. John MacArthur, American preacher, one of my favorite guys, he said it perfectly. The credibility of our Christianity is at stake in how we handle our money. This is about desire. And I'm going to go back to 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Okay, which one do you want to be? I'm just asking you tonight. Which one do you want to be? I don't know. Abundantly sounds better to me than sparingly. Am I wrong? Does anybody disagree with me? This is what God says. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves, you know how it goes, a hilarious giver. I looked up the word here. Uh, the, the, the Greek word here is, is the word we use to build the word, English word hilarious. I looked up the word hilarious. Hilarious. It says, enthusiastically, I can't read my writing, thrilled with the pleasure of giving to God. I mean, it either describes you or it doesn't, right? It's an amazing and beautiful thing. God has two purposes in the resources He gives us. One, of course, is to provide for yourself and your family. The other is to invest in the kingdom of God. That's it. It's real simple. You know, most, most of the time Christianity boils down, it's just real simple. God gives you resources. And the, norm, the normative way to gain resources is through work. We know that God establishes work. God blesses work. If a man will not work, let him not eat. So that, that, that's how that works. We get resources through our labor. And we supply for our families. The rest is investment capital in the kingdom of God. And you, you get to decide. God God says you decide how much you want to put in, man. How much do you want to put in? So, it's true about every aspect of Christianity. God tells us what the deal is, and then He says, you decide what you want. Here I am. Why then should you die? Here I am. I'm the one who gives you everything. Here I am. I'm telling you that I'll bless you as you invest in me, here I am. 
You do whatever you please. I'm just telling you the truth. God says, I'm just telling you how it is. You decide what you want to do with your life and the resources God has poured into your life. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. He who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. You know, I've, I've heard this a lot as a pastor. Well, Jim, I've got to start making more money before I can give. Wrong! Wrong! That's always wrong! You can give! It's just about priority. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases... 2 Corinthians 9, 6. A stingy planter always gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter always gets a lavish crop. So let me talk about the tithe just for a minute because I know this is taught in the modern church that this is the obligation of a New Testament Christian. Uh, <clears throat> that's how I was taught as a young man. Um, so, I want to tell you that the Old the tithe is Old Testament law. It is not taught in the New Testament. Um, twice the uh, word tithe appears in the New Testament. Two times in the same parable in the Gospels where Jesus is condemning the Pharisees for their legalism. It appears one time in Hebrews 7 and the context there is, is the superiority of Jesus over the Levitical priests. You can't make, in my view, you can't make a credible case that tithing extends into the New Testament. It's never law with, with the New Testament. It's never law. It's always love. And so God says, do you love me? That's what God says about this in the New Testament, basically. Do you Love me. And for those of you who like to, you want to keep the law, well, if you really want to keep the law, <laughs> as I said earlier, the Old Testament Jew gave two and one third tithes a year. So if you want to keep the law, you're talking about 23% each year. My, my invitation to you is not to be a law keeper. My invitation to you is to be a hilarious giver because you love God you believe God and you want in on His enterprise, which is redeeming a people for the glory of His name. God invites the New Testament Christian out of law and into faith. You guys know Luke 12. Jesus says, sell and give. What does that mean? Does that mean we can't own anything? No, that's not what it means. It's a call to simplicity. Right? Right? You and your family, you live simply so you can give. Because God wants you to be rich toward Him, which means forever and ever and ever, do I need to say it again, and ever. Not just for your 82 years here, which is nothing compared to what's coming in front of, what's coming after that, which is forever. God says, you know, you know, as, 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 uh, Jim Elliott says, He is no fool who gives away that which he cannot keep in exchange for that which he cannot lose. Jesus called it in Luke chapter 12. You remember what He called it? <laughs> Unfailing treasure. Unfailing treasure. 
Again, the question is, do you think he knows what he's talking about or not? So, I want you to understand. The principle of the tithe, it's a good principle. I'm just saying you're not constrained in the New Testament. Some of you may disagree with me, that's fine. You study it for yourself. I'm wholly convinced the, new, the tithe does not come into the New Testament. But Jesus has called us to even something, you know, more important, I would say, in the New Testament. It's just about how we love Him and how we seek to honor Him. One problem I have with the tithe, one problem I have for those who do it, it's always 10% normally. The only problem I have with it is people think they're finished. This is the only problem I have with it. I, again, I told you I grew up under the tithe and, and it was like, well, I, I started tithing and I thought, well, I'm done. I'm, do, I'm done. No. <laughs> you don't have to be done. If that's all that's in your heart, then that's all that's in your heart. Hey, but you know, there are great examples in the history of the church, people who gave away 90% of their wealth. Listen, don't have this small box, you know, constrained mentality be open-handed and open-hearted because your God is God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, which is the grossest understatement in the Bible. He owns it all, beloved. Two trillion galaxies. He owns it all. He's your Father. You can be fearless in every aspect of life. You don't have to be afraid. So all I want to do, last, last few minutes, all I want to do, I'm going to give you four examples of what I believe New Testament um, giving should look like. And I'll do it quickly. I seem to be somewhat long-winded tonight. Um, don't turn there, but just listen. If you want my notes, I'll send them to you, and then you can follow along more clearly. God tells Moses to raise a contribution for him, for the tabernacle. Moses says, tell, God says, tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me, from every man, get this, whose heart is moved, you shall raise a contribution. Whoever has a willing heart, let him contribute. Everyone whose heart is stirred, everyone whose spirit is moved, bring a contribution. This is what God is saying here. What's in your heart? It's right there in the Old Testament. What's in your heart? And you, you remember the end of this story, right? Exodus 35, 36. You remember what happened? The people were bringing too much and Moses said, stop bringing money. You're bringing too much stuff, right? You remember the account? It's an amazing story. So this is, what is this about? And what is it not about? It's not about law. This is about love and desire and delight. A few weeks ago, we talked about the man who wrote Psalm 63, 1 and 3. The, the words, these words, Oh God, you are my God. I will seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. Your loving kindness is better than life. The man who wrote that would naturally be the man who could say this. First Chronicles 29. Now with all of my ability I have provided for the house of my God. And moreover in my delight in the house of my God. The treasure I have of gold and silver I give to the house of my God. David loved God. He had this... You know, he had this deep and real relationship with him. This is not law. This is not law. This is a heart that seeks and thirsts for God and yearns for Him. And David made his offerings for the tabernacle. 
as did the people. This is not about compulsory or duty or law. This is about desire and love and delight. You remember Luke 19. Remember the little bitty guy that wanted to see Jesus. The little bitty guy, Zacchaeus. He went up the tree. Jesus spotted him. Jesus said, hey, come on down. We'll eat at your house. The guy that went up the tree is not the same guy that came down the tree. <laughs> right? Because we see it. We know Zacchaeus was a tax collector, right? And uh, no doubt he had swindled many people. Zacchaeus says, Lord, behold, half of my possessions I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone, I'll give back four times as much. He was legally obliged to give back a 20% penalty, but he says, I'll just give four, four times back if I've defrauded anybody. This is not law. This is a God. This is a man whose heart has been born again by the supernatural work of God. You can't stop him, right? And this is what I said earlier. Don't give here unless you can't stand not to give here. Okay? Okay, we might, we might see offerings plummet. But you know what? God will get his work done. God will get his work done. I have complete confidence in that. <clears throat> Lastly, my, one of my favorite stories. You know the story of Mary. You know, God incarnate sitting across the table. She can't help it. She, run, she, she excuses herself. She runs down the street, gets the most expensive and costly thing she owns. She runs back up the street. I believe that their eyes met and, and Jesus gave her leeway and freedom to do this. I think just with their eyes and she poured out Let's just bring it into modern context. 20,000 euros on his head. This is not law. This is not law. Okay, I'm making the case. This is what New Testament giving looks like. Okay? I'm making that case. This is not law. This is love. So, some of you may be saying, Jim, you're, you're, you're making me feel guilty. That's not my intent. I don't want you to feel guilty. That's the furthest thing from my objective is to make you feel guilty. I want to awaken you <clears throat> if you need to be awakened. And even if you're like me, you're very mature in this issue. You're very mature in this issue. You've been doing it for a long, long time. I say, revisit it. Why don't you give more? It's probably not because you can't. All I'm saying is, if you want the hundredfold return, and we're not just mercenaries, we love God, but we're in, we're in awe of the, the eternal fruit that will come from our eternal investment. So, yeah. Back in 1983, I learned that I was a God robber. And I want to repeat this, and I want you to hear me. If you're robbing God, you're robbing yourself. God doesn't need your money. God will get His work done. You know what? God's going to save every one of His people. Do you know that? God will get every one of them. 
He doesn't need your money. You and I need to learn how to give. All right. I want to reemphasize your view about money and giving. It's all about God. It's how you see God. It's how you think about God. It's how you trust God. Period. That's it. Okay? And I was reading a guy this week and he said, well, I'm going to paraphrase him. One nanosecond after you die, you will know how you should have lived. Now, this is a powerful image to me. You will know how you should have lived. You will know how you should have given. You will know one nanosecond after you step into the glorious presence of God, you will know how you should have You will know what kind of stewardship you should have employed. And what I'm saying to you is God's Word tells us right now you don't have to wait till one nanosecond after death. You can know right now. God is saying, believe me, trust me, love me, honor me. And I'm saying, you won't be sorry, beloved. So God says, you decide about me, you decide about money, you decide about giving. It's what we saw with the Exodus Jews, what we saw with David, what we saw with Zacchaeus, and what we saw with Mary. You decide. You decide what you'll do with the resources God has given you. I'm going to close with two verses and I'm done. Second Corinthians, uh, Corinthians 9, 6-8, I've already touched on it, but let me read it one more time in a little more detail. Paul says, Now I say this, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. What do you want? You decide. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. Don't you dare throw anything in the offering basket in this church under compulsion. Don't you dare do it. For God loves a cheerful giver. Don't come up here and don't wire into our bank account unless you know you love doing it. Right? (laughs) These are the words of God through the Apostle Paul. And God is able, listen to this, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Do you hear what God is saying? If you're investing in the kingdom, don't worry, you can't outgive me. This is what God is saying. If you invest in the kingdom, don't worry, you'll have all that you need for every good deed. And let me close with this, Luke 6, 38. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. It's your decision, beloved. If you have any questions about this, I'm happy to talk with you. This book is a great book. It'll help you if you have questions about this. It comes down to priority, man. It just comes down to what's important to you.